This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council On Air comes to you 6pm Tuesdays here on OR 105.4 FM and 1575 AM. Join Lux, Valerie and their special guests to hear the latest from the Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council and celebrate unity through diversity. DMEC On Air, 6pm Tuesdays with podcasts available anytime from oar.org.nz, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. Hello, this is again Valerie from Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council. You're listening to DMEC On Air. That's Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council On Air. And this is the women's segment, Wonderful Women, where we talk about things to do with gender, ethnicity and culture. Welcome to our radio show at 6 p.m. on a Tuesday, hosted by Otago Access Radio. <clears throat> That's or.org.nz. You can also get a copy of this, a recording of this podcast um, from the website. And look us up on Dunedin Multi Ethnic Council Celebrating Diversity um, on our Facebook page or dmec.org.nz. Hello. Today we will be talking about, or rather continuing our conversation or our reading of the article last week or discussion around our article last week on the needs and um, responses to the needs of international students. As you know, with the recent COVID difficulties, a lot of conflict or a lot of discussion around international travellers, migrants, and now international students have come up, and quite a bit, actually. And international students at the moment are feeling more than ever uh, like things are exceptionally difficult, and that sometimes they feel that their needs are not being met, um, underappreciated, and yeah undervalued and so I guess we were kind of discussing that earlier and now we're just looking through some articles of research articles from a few years ago that have looked at the different social needs of international students coming to New Zealand previously we discussed the academic needs the language needs um, and things like that of international students as you know, this does not mean everyone. Uh, we're just talking about some general numbers, correlations, associations here. And we stopped right before we talked about the social needs of international students. So the ac- academic needs of international students are as important as their social needs. International students are firstly, of course, in New Zealand to study. And there are often great expectations placed upon them by their fee payer for them to return to their countries of origin with a qualification. Yet, of course, their social interactions will generally affect their academic performance. I remember back in the days um, when I first arrived in New Zealand to study, I wasn't an international student in terms of 
because I was a permanent resident, but I was international student in the sense that I had not previously studied in New Zealand for very long. Not even, I think I studied here briefly in high school for about half a year. Um, and so when I came to New Zealand to study, essentially I felt like an international student in the sense that I was not used to the culture, I wasn't brought up here, and I was just getting to know the place, and I was here mainly for my studies. And I remember that the discussions around my academic studies was very, there were very clear directions from my family, from my, especially my mom and dad, about my qualification in New Zealand and studying my university things, my results, and making it very clear that my social life and my social events and the things that I do with other people should minimally affect my academic performance. This is not new from, you know, our general culture in that studies and academic performance in my culture is always seen as primary, relationships and socializing as secondary. However, it becomes more so when the stakes are higher in the sense that it's A, university, and B, um, our parents or my parents have put a lot of sacrifice and funding into allowing me this opportunity. And so it was very clear that socializing, though it's understood to be a necessity, it is also quite clear that it shouldn't be a priority. So research has also suggested that a significant proportion of university students feel ambivalent about their relations with host nationals and that many perceive discrimination. Um, a study identified two groups of international students, A, those who remain among themselves and do not interact with the host culture, and those who interact readily and easily with the host culture. Although research shows that international students prefer close friendships with co-nationals, it also shows that international students who befriend members of the host culture ultimately have a more fulfilling and enriching study abroad experience. Many students who fell into the first category expressed regret that they had not interacted more with domestic students. Returnees who fell into the second categorization bemoaned their peers for not mixing more. As this one person noted, it's quoted here, while those who want to join their own social group, I think they took education as secondary. I think they more like having fun. I don't quite like international studies having formed their own group. I'm, they're going to other countries. They should learn the culture. There are more opportunities to learn the cultures. I don't agree with, and they mean international students, forming their own groups. And I don't know what they talk about. Um, students also perceived a lack of institutional student support structures. This may in part be a reflection of inadequate resourcing and cumbersome workloads on support staff. Yet it also encompasses issues surrounding students' awareness and use of these services. Extensive research has demonstrated that social networks are important in migration and many students found their social support to be within the host communities such as through churches, civic groups, rotary, and student clubs. 
While the orientation of students to New Zealand culture is important in establishing positive perceptions and experiences, similarly, orienting students to their re-entry into their countries of origin is also important. In their re-entry, students face many significant transitions, including to work, lifestyle, and an altered worldview. Students' social needs can also be ascertained through their negative experiences, such as discrimination. Australian research showed that 10% of international students saw off-campus discrimination as a serious problem, while 54% saw it as a minor problem. For on-campus discrimination, 7% saw it as a serious problem, while 52% saw it as a minor problem. Discrimination is based on prejudice and stereotyping. As for my own personal experiences, I felt that in university, I agree with this perception. Um, When I first started studying in the university, I did see discrimination as a minor problem because in university, you're quite well sheltered from prejudice severely impacting your abilities. Um, Sure, there was discrimination and prejudice in that it I did try to make friends with Kiwi people and because my accent was different, I was difficult to understand, I didn't understand the nuances, people tended to be a lot more impatient and they found it more difficult to try and interact with me and as a result, there were a lot of times that I would make the effort and get ignored. Fair enough, I guess. Um, You do get a bit of prejudice and discrimination with certain lecturers or administrative people. But again, it was more an attitude rather than having serious impact. And so even though I knew of the existence of prejudice and discrimination and racism, it didn't really strike me as a major dif- major problem. Uh, I didn't really see yeah, what the big deal is. In fact, for a big amount of For a large amount of time, I was actually quite annoyed when people brought up things like racism and discrimination because I felt it was not a big deal, not a big problem. That was before I graduated and before I started working. And that was when the impact of discrimination and racism and prejudice actually became a major difficulty for me. While in university, of course, the university is used to having international students and so generally it's a bit more diluted and people's perceptions of you though may be difficult and may discourage you from interacting more with uh, people who are local it doesn't actually impact your life very much however what I did find when I started getting part-time jobs or actually interacting outside of the university that was when um, racism and prejudice and discrimination started impacting my life a lot more. I started noticing it a lot more and it, sting, it stung a lot more because it started, it became a barrier um, and impacted on my ability to develop and advance in the things I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, Right, so anyway, as they discussed here, 
that positive experiences can counter discriminatory experiences and these experiences can lose some of their negative significance um, when issues surrounding international students' social and academic needs are addressed. Um, another one of the needs that is discussed here is the health and safety of international students. Anecdotally, there is an apparent increase in the number of international students with mental health difficulties. Or to put it another way, there is a perceived increase in mental health difficulties faced by international students. However, there is no conclusive research in New Zealand in this area at the time that this was written. We know that international students face many stresses including language barriers, acculturative stress and lack of social support networks. Overseas research has shown that international students are more likely to suffer psychological and social distress than domestic students, including depression, anxiety, and psychosomatic disorders, um, and social, psychological, and health problems. However, research is ambivalent as to whether there is an increased usage of support and counselling services by international students, Although, among other things, it highlights issues surrounding cultural appropriateness of some of the services. And that is true, again, as well. Back um, in my personal experiences, um, the way, uh, I guess, the way my friends or my non-Kiwi friends express distress and uh, difficulties with mood and upsetness is very different from how it's expressed locally. There is very little expression of emotion. Um, there is very little help seeking. And there is a lot of unsureness about detecting internal suffering. In fact, um, it is shown in a lot of anecdotal as well as research that um, I guess in some Asian cultures, psychological difficulties is often expressed psychosomatically. Um, my personal experiences with that is I remember I had a really difficult year um, in one of my years. I didn't know I was having a difficult time, to be honest. I was, um, I was completing my PhD while planning for a wedding and renovating a house all by myself while there was a full-time PhD while doing a part-time job. And I was not stressed at all. I was juggling four different things. I, you know, a day, for example, for me would look like I would go to the university and early in the morning and do whatever it was at university. Then I'll go to work or I'll come back to the house back to the house to renovate it that is painting and scraping and building things and then I will go to a night or overnight shift and juggle walking the dogs in between and on weekends I'm either working shifts at work or doing experiment at university or painting a house but I did not feel stressed there was zero zero and I did not feel stressed at all but I did have a lot of stomach aches endless amount of stomach aches and I went from doctor to doctor and I got prescribed so many antacids and um, what's the thing called you know omeprazole and pentaprazole and all of those tummy ache medications and nothing really really worked um, until I remember 
um, going to one GP who asked me a bit more about myself. And at the end of the consultation, he asked me if I was stressed, and I said, no, not at all. And he was very surprised there and insisted that I must be stressed and the stomachache must have must be to do with my stress. And I insisted that it wasn't because I literally felt fine. It was as time went on when I started realizing um, now that the idea has been planted in my head, I started noticing a bit more when my tummy aches will come about and what will make it better. And through the years, as I began learn- to learn more about psychology and mental health, I started realizing that indeed I was stressed. I just had no realization of it and no awareness of it at all. And so it's a very interesting concept as well. I remember friends who, for example, said they may be feeling a little low and a little depressed. Um, So she went to the doctor, but the way she described it was pretty reasonable and calm, no tears, quite, you know, not distressed, not clearly distressed at all. And so she was sent home with just some brief advice, nothing psychological or nothing mental health-wise, but actually... She was, I think, close to a nervous breakdown and was at least moderately depressed. However, the way I guess certain cultures express their distress or their mental health difficulties or the way they experience them is very different from what is used to um, in a lot of New Zealand support services. Although, to be really fair, over the years that has become a lot more different, a lot of awareness has happened over the years. Yeah, but this is just speaking from my experiences as a student. Um, And although students' mental health difficulties may go largely unnoticed outside the industry itself, um, the parent deviant behavior of many international students provide bold headlines for newspaper and material for negative media publicity while also feeding a particular discourse about the types of Asian students in New Zealand. And the discourse is almost exclusively about Asian students. Anecdotal evidence suggests that there has been an increase in crime among Asian students, particularly kidnapping. While there is no conclusive evidence to support this, what we do know is Proportionately, crime committed by Asians in New Zealand is very small. Uh, The crime that is committed is intra-ethnicity, that is, by Asians or against Asians. Many of the perpetrators are migrants or permanent residents, not students, and many students are vulnerable victims. There is no adequate police data in this area and there is only one dedicated four-person police unit in New Zealand based in Auckland which deals with Asian crime. It is worth noting that many students arrive in New Zealand with the expectation that it is crime-free. Correct. That is entirely what I expected as well. I remember um, leaving my things unwatched. I remember going to the bathroom and leaving my computer and books Everywhere because I was under the impression that it was a very safe and crime-free country. Or so I've been told. And 
you know, that's what you know. And therefore, the, this article suggests that in our response, we do need to equip students to look after their personal safety in a similar manner that we do for primary school children. Yeah, okay, fair. There are also issues surrounding the authenticity and acquisition of driving licenses and attendant issues surrounding the purchasing, use, and selling of cars. There is no general regulatory policy regarding these issues. However, individual institutions often have their own regulatory procedures and organizations such as the Land Transport Safety Authority and the Automobile Association of New Zealand are considering responding as well to these difficulties. Um, there are similar responses for issues surrounding fraudulent ESOL certificates. Many institutions have rigorous checking procedures along international guidelines. And the next thing that this article then focuses on is the financial need of international students. There is also anecdotal evidence, again, that there is an increase in gambling problems among Asian students. Again, there is no research to hear, to bear this out. However, we can speculate that if this were so, it might highlight financial difficulties as well as perhaps cultural practices of these students. Um, financial difficulties are a further area that has generally received very little coverage or public coverage. Um, a research in 2001 found that while 62% of students surveyed expected to have enough money, only 51% felt they did so. Recent changes to immigration policy, and at this time, the funds were only 7000 to 10000 per year. Um, however, as we understand through the years, universities have become significantly more expensive for international students. Um, and that may only accentuate financial difficulties. Students who are financially at risk include those that are poor budgeters, um, those that gamble and have affected associates, immigration requirement circumventors, family dependents and those affected by altered family circumstances, and those facing unexpected needs, as if, such as theft, accidents, fines, or tenancy requirements. And it's worth noting, as this paper had done from the very start, that many students' parents, if they are the fee payers, have made significant sacrifices in sending their children abroad. I think a lot of times, especially in modern times right now, it is always the assumption that because international students can afford to study abroad and can afford to pay triple the fees that um, they're generally more well off than others. However, it's worth noting that a larger number portion of international students are actually here because their family have made large amounts of sacrifices and years and years of savings to allow them the opportunity to come overseas. My family, in fact, for example, have been saving for me to come to New Zealand for since I was born. Since I was born, and, I, and all three of us, me, my brother, and my sister, had the same experiences since we were born. Um, our mom and dad set up an account for each of us, and they would save money in that account through our lifespan. <laughs> 
until we were 18 or 19 and they would use that to fund us here. Um, more than just the fees and the accommodation and all the other things that go along with it is also the exchange rate, which for us is triple. And that is often a big difficulty. I remember barely being able to buy very warm clothes in the past because I just did not have the money to buy good quality warm clothes. I would then buy kids puffer jackets from the warehouse and that was very uncomfortable and cold. Um, but again, that's my experience. I see that we're kind of running out of time at the moment. Um, so I will wrap this up and just reminding you that you're listening to Valerie, the Women's Coordinator of DMEC. That's Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council. Uh, you can look us up on our Facebook page with this Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council celebrating diversity. Our, our website, dmec.org.nz. You're listening to DMEC on air and our women's segment, Wonderful Women, where we talk about things cultural, about gender or ethnicity. And we are hosted by ORFM, that's Otago Access Radio FM. And you can get a recording of this podcast on their website, which is oar.org.nz. Once more, you're listening to us on a Tuesday early evening at 6 o'clock. Have a nice rest of the time and I'll see you again in a month's time. Bye-bye. Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council on Air comes to you 6pm Tuesdays here on OR 105.4 FM and 1575 AM. Join Lux, Valerie and their special guests to hear the latest from the Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council and celebrate unity through diversity. DMEC on Air, 6pm Tuesdays with podcasts available anytime from oar.org.nz, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.